We're back to the Neil Haley Show and also the media giant effect. And, oh, the Buckos. You know, especially now, we're going to get to finally see Spanky on TV, especially locally in Pittsburgh, but nationally in the media giant effect. And he's going to talk about signatures for soldiers. And we have such a great guest on with us. So I'm first excited to welcome the program, Mike Lavalier. Mike Spanky, a.k.a. Spanky, the Pittsburgh Pirates. How are you, Mike? And good to see you again. Well, Neil, uh, good to see you again, uh, living here in Florida, enjoying our beautiful winter down here, about 80 degrees. I'm sorry for the rest of the folks that are shoveling snow today, but someone's got to enjoy the sunshine. Oh, most definitely in Dallas. I'm in Dallas now, Mike, so I'm no longer in Pittsburgh. So I, I was smart. I'm in the warm climate as well. And our guest is as well. So I'm excited to welcome from Signatures for Soldiers, Tim Virgilio. Tim, thanks for stopping by and tell me how you and Mike connected because that's the coolest thing. Then we're going to learn more about your cause. I'm already thinking of people to connect you with. It's such a such a great thing that you're doing. But first, to introduce yourself and tell you how you and Mike connected. All right. First of all, thanks for having me on, Neil. Um, always a pleasure. And, and Mike, great to see you again. Um, so uh, I... I started Signatures for Soldiers in November of 2014 as a way to raise money for charity to help homeless and disabled veterans um, ask athletes at that time to sign cards, knowing that I was going to sell them 100% going to charity. And um, I happened to reach out to Mike via social media, I don't know, about a year or two into doing it and um, asked if he would sign some cards for me. And um, he was gracious enough to do that and has been supporting my efforts ever since. So it's it's been uh, truly been a blessing and truly been an honor for me to, um, you know, get to know Mike and have his support. What made you decide now to go to, to do the signing way by going to sports card events and stuff? I know you didn't tell me more about that, but it's such a great idea, right? Because people are going to buy those things and give right. them 100% wow. Because as, as, as Spanky would say, or Mike, Mike would say, basically those card shows and stuff, the personal appearances, people will pay anything at those events, right? For autographs and stuff like that. So it's such a great way to say, I'm going to really raise money for a charity in a way that, that the autographs, the authentic of those stars are huge. So you go to different sports card events to sell it. Yeah. So, um, you know, growing up as a kid, I collected baseball cards and got into collecting autographs and really it's a, it's a hobby for me, um, even to this day. So, you know, I, I was trying to think of a way to support a charity that helps homeless and disabled veterans. And I figured what charity can't use money. So, um, what I did was I, I combined my hobby of autograph collecting with my passion of helping homeless and disabled veterans and that's kind of how it started um you know the original goal in back in november 2014 was to raise 500 and um you know as we're sitting here talking now you know in, in large part thanks to mike um we've this week we've passed two hundred nineteen thousand dollars in total money raised since i started so it's i i think we've been pretty successful i, I think we've achieved that 500 dollars goal no doubt. And are you going to the sports card events as well? <clears throat> sports card events just in Florida or you travel across the country? Um, yeah. So the last five years we've been invited to the sports uh, collectors, con the national sports collectors convention, um, which is the largest sports collectors convention in the country. It's 
500,000 square feet um, over in over five days, they get 50 to 100,000 people coming through. Wow. So we've been invited there to um, set up and um, we've, you know, we've had a booth to sell our items. And then the last two years we were named the charity partner for the national. Um, so they also held a auction in, in conjunction with the, the five day event that helped us raise additional funds as well. That's fantastic. Now, Mike, what are your thoughts of this, this charity and how the, what the angle they're using to, to definitely raise money for veterans, especially the homeless? Well, I mean, it, obviously it's, it's something that our veterans are in need. And, um, you know, I've got a, a, a member of our family, my son-in-law that uh, was in uh, Iraq in Baghdad, uh, two purple hearts, uh, so this is, you know, this uh, rings close to home. And, you know, I, I think our veterans haven't really gotten a fair shake. Uh, anything and everything that I can do to help with that, you know, it's it's just something, it's an honor for me to do. And it's something that, you know, I, I just, you know, I take pride in it. Um, I'm, I'm thrilled to death to have met Tim. And uh, I think we've got a a really good thing going. Uh, I started to push a little bit more to get a little more involvement with some of my MLB um, friends and alumni to see if they can, you know, do their little part. And yeah, I think things are starting to roll uh, pretty well in our direction. And, you know, it's something that's great to see. It's, it's, it's a great cause. And, and I tell you, it's, it's something to be very proud about to be a part of. So uh, who, what other athletes have you reached out to of your friends, Mike? To be part Well, of? I've gotten uh, mm-hmm. some of my um, uh, St. Louis Cardinals alumni, Jason Simon Tachi, who's been involved uh, with the organization for a while. A couple catchers, Jesse Levis, um, <clears throat> and a couple other guys that reached out to me yesterday. I put a little note on uh, or a post on Facebook and uh, immediately gained traction. So I'm getting <clears throat> a request, you know, to get uh, Tim's info, to get them involved and see what they can do to help. Tim, the power of social media, right? He posts on Facebook. We meet because of Mike. Can you imagine that? Just of me just going in the newsfeed and seeing Mike, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to reach back out to Mike. It was 2014. <laughs> he was on my show. Or 2016. It's been a long time, and I'm like, I'm going to have Mike on. It's perfect thing because he's promoting something. But again, raising money for such a great cause, it's got to feel great, right? You use the power influence of an influencer like Mike Lavalier, and how it's moving the organization even more. What the foundation's got to feel great. Yeah, it, it really does. Um, <clears throat> you know, we we hear a lot of the ills of social media, you know, uh, and all of the evils. But, you know, I think this just shows when good people come together, just the positive effect that can happen. Um, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm literally wiping away tears here because it's, it's just it's overwhelming for me. I mean, even, even to this point, you know, cause it's signatures for soldiers is all volunteer. I, I literally make no money off of this. Um, and just to have support from people like Mike and, and, and you and, and just everyday citizens has been phenomenal. Yeah, I'm already thinking Mike, 
connecting him to one of my clients, uh, Dr. Charles Simkovich, who does a lot of work with veterans as well in the Pittsburgh region. And he's connected a lot of different people. Uh, you know, one's Cam Hayward. He's going to be at an event with Cam. I think that would be great to get Cam involved, not just baseball, other sports. Have you been working on thinking about expanding? Yeah. Yeah. We, um, you know, baseball, baseball community has been the most responsive. Um, but you know, I have gotten players from NFL and NBA involved, um, in, in NHL as well. And, um, so it's been, it's been really amazing, um, just to see the support, you know, we don't have a marketing plan or a marketing budget. So, you know, this has all been grassroots effort and it, it word of mouth has just been phenomenal. Well, when you're doing such a great cause, Mike, what would you like to tell the fans back in Pittsburgh? Like, because uh, again, you don't get those opportunities all the time to talk to the Pittsburgh fans. I'm saying that just because locally Pittsburgh television is definitely going to get this, is going to carry this one, but we're going to be national and everything. What do you want to say to Pirates fans? Well, <laughs> you know what? I, uh, I love Pittsburgh. Um, I enjoy every year getting to do the Pirate Fantasy Camp. Uh, received a number of inquiries yesterday from pirate fantasy campers that live in the Pittsburgh area. They want to become involved. Uh, they get in touch with Tim. So I, I think it's absolutely fabulous. Uh, the city of Pittsburgh is, is just a, the most wonderful place. They could find a way to fix their winner. I would live there. <laughs> no, I'm <laughs> telling you, I don't miss Pittsburgh in the sunny days. I don't miss not having sunny days, right? Mike, well, that was the... That, that's rough when we don't have many sunny days, right? Well, yeah, it is tough. And, and you know, right now the organization is, you know, having their, uh, you know, let's let's call it growing pains. Um, they signed a couple of veteran guys. Kutch is back in the fold. Um, you know, as, as I consider myself more of a, a pirate than any of the other uh, f uh, three teams that I played with. So it's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, I've, I've got that tie to Pittsburgh. I love going back. Our alumni director, Joe Bilodeau, um, does wonderful uh, keeping us alumni guys together, keeping us involved with the city. Uh, we go up and we do events. We'll do Pirate Fest. So this is all something that, uh, again, I'm, I'm grateful for the time that I get to spend in, in Pittsburgh and the times that I'll spend there in the future. All right. So, you know, it's such great things. And that's a great point. You talk about the Pirates. You never know if Pitt basketball can make a turnaround like they have this year. The Pirates can do it next year, really, because, I mean, I never thought, you know, Pitt basketball would start winning again. And it's going into March Madness. But go figure. Uh, I leave Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh Pitt starts dominating. Maybe they are happy I'm gone. Uh, so the, <laughs> the best place people can find information on Tim is where? Uh, so our Facebook, I'm sorry, our, our website is uh, signatures, the number four soldiers.com. Um, and then we have social media platforms on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. So you can just search for signatures for soldiers and that'll come up. And Mike, you people can connect with you on Facebook. Is that the best? Place? Um, yeah, I'm uh, just uh, Mike LaValliere. Uh, I've got one, actually one of my baseball cards as my um logo uh i guess for my profile so uh, you can get me there you can get me at spanky catches on twitter uh, i haven't uh 
I haven't progressed to Instagram yet. So uh, I'm, I'm one of the old fossil dinosaurs that's gradually making uh, making headway into the technology world. So then when are you going to do TikTok, Mike? We're waiting. <laughs> when, 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 you know when are you I, jumping I, I, on I TikTok? I don't, I don't believe TikTok is ready for, for Spanky LaValle. No, you're not going to do a big dances and all that stuff on <laughs> TikTok? And... Uh, we we let, the, let the young kids take care of that. <laughs> All right. Appreciate it, Mike. Thanks again, Tim. I appreciate both of you guys. All right. You're Thank you, watching the Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and celebrity interviews live from the grotto with Greg Hanna. Greg Van, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Had an awesome week. Couldn't wait till today. And I want to know what a Meganet is, and we're going to find out. Exactly. And our author today is very interesting, David Arabach. And uh, I'm excited to talk to you, David, because ultimately this technology thing is becoming such a popular thing, especially now with AI. The conversations, it's perfect timing for your book to come out, right? Especially with ChatGPT and all the things they're talking about, AI controlling society, if you watch uh, like the uh, social media, you know, David? Yeah, well, indeed. Um uh, I was pretty sure that something would happen, uh, and I think part of the uh, part of the impetus for me writing this book was because I saw common threads to these technological crises and chaos that keep happening, and I and by treating them in isolation, I think we feel helpless and we don't quite understand what's actually going on. Well, no doubt, it's like something where you're 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 saying to yourself. This all happened so fast, right? And it really didn't. Yeah. You, you predicted this, right? You, I'm sure you were, especially when you're knowing what AI was going to be able to create for itself. Well, yeah. So, I, you know, I worked at Microsoft and I worked at Google for a long time. And I'll say that I didn't quite see the extent of it either. And it wasn't even the technology. It's the interaction of the technology and hundreds of millions of people. That's the unexpected part. The technology couldn't do what it does today unless the collective mass of humanity was interacting with it constantly. And that's, I think, the piece that everybody is missing, that it's not just the computers and it's not just humans, it's actually both of them working together. And how they're working together is a question that I think hasn't been answered well enough. Well, that's very interesting. Now, David, I noticed that uh, you did a bunch of research at Microsoft. Is that one of the... Uh, I, work, I was a software engineer at both okay. Microsoft and at Google. Yeah. Yeah. I worked on internet uh, properties and search and all that. And search. Yeah. So you've been in, in this area of, you know, collecting information and seeing what people are interested in and, and so on. Are you surprised? I mean, it, it surprises people today. I mean, even my wife the other day, she's like, we were just looking at that. And all of a sudden I'm getting a phone call about the thing that we were just talking about like a couple of days ago, or, you know, it's, it's really amazing how, all these little data points are being used, you know, to to deliver the content, to put the right merchant yeah. in front of you, et cetera. And it goes well beyond that because all of this data that's collected in a massive mess and fed into all sorts of other things like these AIs. It's not as though these AIs are just taking individual data points. They're taking the collective mass of all the content human produces, humanity produces. And it spits it back out in this very uncanny way that seems almost human. But it couldn't do that if humans hadn't provided it with that much uh, content to base itself off of. 
that's why AI reflects our nightmares back to us so well, because our nightmares are fed into it. And when we ask it to tell it, to give us, <laughs> well, what's your shadow self like? What's the scariest thing you think of? It'll tell you exactly what we're most scared of because that's what we fed it with. Wow. Wow, that's that's scary, isn't it? Well, the good news is it doesn't know what it it doesn't understand what it's saying. It's just being prompted. But it does a very good job of convincing humans that it does know what it's saying. And that's going to be a problem. That's the scary part. But it doesn't actually understand or mean any of the things that it says. Wow. <laughs> so so back in the late 90s and early 2000s when, you know, data warehousing was, you know, becoming a, a thing, you know, and using all these data points and companies to to get better customers and all these things. So where it is today, I mean, back then you guys were probably talking about that. Do you ever imagine that it was going to get to the amount of data and storage required? You know, worldwide, what's being being stored these we days. We knew, we certainly knew that there would be an ungodly amount of data. That wasn't surprising. I think what's surprising is that the data then took on a life of its own, that even within these large companies, you're chasing the data rather than vice versa, sort of you're struggling to keep up with the data because, you know, if if computers misbehave and the reason they're misbehaving is more data that can be humanly processed, what are you gonna do? Well, you can get an AI to sort it out. Now the AI is the problem when the AI misbehaves. That's the part that I think people didn't understand. It's, not the part, it's certainly the part I didn't understand because, uh, I don't think most of us anticipated that the data would become so powerful and so unintentionally powerful that mm -hmm. any one person makes a tiny amount of data, but all of those people's data fed in collectively to an AI or just to a network has unpredictable effects that even Facebook and Microsoft and Google can't control. Do you think people rely too much on control. AI? Do you think people... Sorry? Relax, react, I mean, uh, rely too much on AI, in your opinion? Well, I think it's early days. I don't think we've seen that much in AI so far. Right now, uh, you know, what we see is actually comparatively simple algorithms and their unpredictability, I think, augurs, you know, just how crazy things might get once serious AI is deployed. We see AI, you know, AI's best usages are in, say, identifying faces uh, in... Uh, in recommendation engines but compared to you know simulating humans compared to you know creating artificial virtual life forms that act convincingly human we haven't seen nothing anything yet no just getting started there right so let, let me ask you wh where do you see ai fitting into cybersecurity, and do you think it's a good idea a bad idea i mean how autonomous should we let autonomous ai really be um what are your thoughts on that well there's a that's a double-edged sword because on the one hand ai is more limited than it may appear to do to be it doesn't think in the way that humans do on the other hand we don't supervise what we feed it with we can kind of call it but chat chat gpt spent a year trying to get chat its chat bot just to not say offensive political things and you can still coax it into doing that if you uh if you know what to say uh, you saw that with the Microsoft Sydney bot where they clearly hadn't spent that much time on it and then started telling reporters that it loved them and it wanted to release the nuclear codes and things like that. So it's so in that regard, the autonomy is not that the AI is going to take, you know, 
actions of its own volition. It's more that it's just going to act out of control. It's going to blue screen like Windows used to. So in the in the short term, I would think of it less as AI is this independent thing, and more it's like this it's this large force, almost a force of nature that's just out of control. You know, do we rely too much on the weather? Well, it's there and we can't quite control it. And I think AI is going AI and technology more generally because you don't need AI to produce this lack of control. Facebook doesn't have control over their network and AI plays considerably smaller role in you know how they filter algorithms. Uh, they filter content with their algorithms. So what you're looking at is a loss of human autonomy and where does that autonomy go to? Well, it sort of goes to the machines, but the machines don't quite know what they're doing. The best we can do is to sort of understand how, what it is that the machine, like how it is that they tend to work, but not to anthropomorphize them and see them as things that are actually like taking deliberate action. That sort of thing is a long way off. It's more that it's just a force that we've created that's very beneficial, but also uh, too big to be controlled. And that's why I called it a mega net. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so, so, so Skynet on Terminator, we're a long way away from that, right? <laughs> yeah, that's not the nightmare situation. The nightmare is that people think that something is Skynet <laughs> or think <laughs> that a robot loves them uh, when in actuality, you know, what we humans would consider those sorts of emotions don't exist in computers or in AIs. So that how did you come up with that name? Kind of explain that to us. Well, I was looking for, I needed a new word because when we talk about networks, social networks, AIs, machine learning networks, all these things, none of them quite capture um, the fact that size really matters, that it's only once you have that many servers and that many people always on the servers that you get this amount of data being generated that gets beyond the control of, um, of even Mark Zuckerberg to, to manage. And so to reflect that sort of size and the fact that it is, you know, a Leviathan that that really is getting beyond our control and is continually continuing to grow beyond our control, I came up with the term Meganet. Um, many, many other terms were considered as well and were debated uh, extensively uh, between me and my uh, editor, but uh, Meganet's phone we got. <laughs> um, That's cool. Reminds me of the book Megatrends, you know, years back. Um, I do remember. Yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a lot of that stuff came true. Those predictions, they're pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think what, you know, here's a prediction. You're going to see these chatbots being used by everyone because everybody is going to be able to produce them soon enough because technology is only getting easier. So, you know, if you run a cult and you want to create a chatbot that steers people to your cult, that's going to be possible, you know? And, and the only bright side is that it's going to be hard to even control those. So it may not behave as well as you'd like it to. But uh, we should get used to the fact that the human seeming AI is here to stay and it's only going to get better. But actually simulating the human being human in the sense of feelings, rationality, that we've got ways to go. So but no, no I most humans don't don't most humans don't act that intelligently that, much of the time. So it may still be hard to tell the difference. So no way we're getting to iRobot anytime soon, right? <laughs> Not I, I it will be lucky. I think that might be a best case scenario, you know, if we make it that far. 
Um, but you know, if you want to convince yourself that something is iRobot, there'll be a lot that will be able to convince you as long as you don't look too closely. Some people are convinced we're already there. Some very intelligent people. But uh, if you look at the guts of this thing, I don't think there's any way you can possibly justify it. The real danger, as always, is with humans and what we make of what we've created. The technology acts as an amplifier, both for better and for worse. But uh, the problem, once again, lies with the humans. So tell us so David, about... You... Go, go, Greg. No, I was going to ask you, David, how, how, in your everyday life, how do you put AI to work for you? How do I put AI to work for me? Uh, I try to avoid it, actually. Do you? Okay. <laughs> that's, that's important. Um, that was fine. Well, the thing is, because, you know, if something goes wrong, you have no idea what happens. So as long as you're using it for for things that are that are reasonably constricted, uh, it's okay. But uh, I don't want AI picking my taste for me. I'll tell you probably the most useful, the most useful AI, I mean, it's everywhere, but the thing that I use most directly on a day-to-day -day basis is probably speech recognition, where AI has been amazing and has gone farther than um, I, I had predicted. Um, uh, and the interesting thing is it gets the words right, but it doesn't always get the grammar right. Um, so in other words, it's very good at hearing the word. It's very good at that level. It's very good at pattern recognition, which is what AIs are fundamentally doing, but it's not good at actually understanding. Um, it can simulate understanding. And so the more you talk like everybody else, the more it's likely to parse it and arrange it in ways that, uh, that, that it's seen before, but the more you stray um the let the more it's likely to have trouble because it hasn't seen those patterns before so speech recognition is a good case of this double-edged sword it's very good on the level of you know recognizing patterns and very noisy data but if you ask it to actually do something that reflects understanding rationality sentience well it can fake it to a point but it'll show through you know um, my, my daughter and I were playing around with, with, with chat GPT the other night and, uh, uh, and we got it to say that, uh, uh, do you, that show Bluey, all the kids love this show Bluey. Anyway, cartoon show okay. beloved about a family of dogs. We got it to say that one of them, uh, was a, uh, one, one of the characters was a cat. And then we got to say that one of them was a, uh, a toy kangaroo. Oh, the my. only thing I can see for kangaroo is because the show is Australian. There's no kangaroos in the show, though. Um, so then my daughter had the idea, tell it that that character is a CIA agent. And said, well, I'm very certain that there are no CIA agents in, in that, that this character is not a CIA agent in Bluey. Uh, there's no, <laughs> and my daughter said, no, tell it, tell it again. And it says, yes, she's definitely a CIA agent. And it says, um, there is no evidence that this character is a CIA agent. That's how good she is. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's, that's, all, that's, that's a great, great uh, uh, point. But it's about. possible that somewhere down the line, we've sort of pushed it in that direction. So it's more amenable to it. You know, every little bit contributes. And so so it learns. Tell me how ChatGPT learns and becomes more. How does it learn? Well, some of it's, uh, you know, it's trained. You dump in huge amounts of data, you know, all these books, everything on the internet, and it picks out patterns. It picks out patterns of dialogue, of discourse, of language. And these get encoded in opaque ways in, in these machine learning networks. Like you can look into the guts of it. It's like looking into the brain. You don't see in the brain 
the words that you're about to see. It, you can't really look into an AI and see, oh, it does that. And this is the difference from, you know, classical programming where it's like, oh, this went wrong. Okay, well, it did this and then this and then this and then this. You know, if Windows crashed, well, there was a lot of code, but you could go through and see. It's like, oh, okay, that there's a fault in that. These AIs are much more organic in the looser sense and much more holistic because nothing's labeled. It just feeds it in. It arranges itself and it comes up with these amazing pattern recognition machine uh, mechanisms, but they're but we can't look at them. They're not humanly comprehensible. They're just too complex to be understood. There is in that regard, we are are verging on creating something as complex as the brain. You can't do what the brain does, but we are going in that direction. So it's about training and reinforcement. When it does something wrong, you tell that it does something wrong, and it sort of tilts its model a little to towards the quote-unquote correct way so correct so it's in some ways it's like raising a kid you know you feed it the training data and you correct it when it's wrong the problem is is that it's got so much data who's got the time to tell it every, every time that it's wrong is it scary yet yeah it's what scares me it seems like war games remember and then more games i do how about a nice game of chess, right? Yeah, exactly. And not understanding yeah. that. So let, that kind of segues in your book. Uh, you know, it kind of, were you a fan of war games growing up or at all or oh, the movie? Oh, of course. Yeah, I was right. I was the perfect age for it. You know, yeah. I was into computers. So, yes, of course. Yeah. And, like who doesn't, who doesn't want a hacker hero? Yeah. So did you add that kind of thinking about that when writing this book? In a way, well, I think I mean the thing is, is that yeah, that again, that the computer in war games was sentient. It was it could talk like a human, and that's always what we want to do. That's not what's happening. If something goes wrong, it'll be because it'll be out of chaos. It'll be like, why is there a hurricane? It's not going. You can't say, oh, what was its reasoning behind this? You'll never know because it's just it, it's chaos, and that's the message of the book. That you have to look at it more like the global economy or weather system or tectonic plates you can exert some influence over them but if you try to treat them like sentient creatures it's going to go nowhere and you're going to misunderstand the problem wow so david who, who's the audience that you wrote the book for that you know you're trying to reach and hope that they read and what what do you want them to get out of it well i think that anyone who feels that there's a general perception of this loss of control this loss of understanding of things getting faster and out of control um, and, and unpredictable, and that even our biggest leaders and tech companies don't seem to quite be able to get it under control, which is why you've got something like you know, Microsoft's AI behaving so strangely. It's like, of all people, you know, you'd think that they would have released something that didn't behave in a scary way. Uh, and I think that, you know, the fundamental explanation is that they actually do have less control than we think. So the book is really for anyone who is interested in what technology is doing to us. And technology is everywhere. Even if you're not online, you know, technology is still shaping how society works day to day. It's shaping discourse. And not always in the most obvious ways, sometimes in very obvious ways. But we ask why why online life is so unpleasant sometimes, even when technology does so much for us. Well, the books an attempt to explain why the good and the bad are sometimes inseparable and at the least very hard to get a complete grip on. Wow. It's it's so interesting that you wrote this. Is what is your ultimate goal with this book? What do you hope for? 
I hope to change the questions being asked to ones that actually have answers that will help us, you know, that instead of just playing whack-a-mole with, oh, this bad thing happened, this bad thing happened, get rid of this person, get rid of this person, we can actually look at, okay, how can we minimize, how can we reduce the number of such incidents, of such incidents, because they seem to keep happening. And the goal and the way you do that is not by playing whack-a-mole, but by looking at general ways to slow things down more general uh, across the board. Because if you, by the time you look at one, investigate one crisis, it's ended and the next one has started. So you need to basically be preemptive and you need to look at large-scale mechanisms rather than targeted ones. Well, are you, are you doing any hobby programming these days or you're just strictly mm. writing or more ad hoc yeah i mean uh the thing is is the things that interest me uh would require um let's say more resources than i have access to so i experiment and i fiddle with things but uh but more i i am more technologist than a uh, builder at this point uh because i'm fascinated by just the effects of these things and a lot of the people these things are so complex to build you have to you know, bury yourself in them uh, just to just to get them get them to keep working. All right, um, Greg has his favorite question asked. Go ahead, Greg, with your favorite question. Yeah, so my favorite question, David. What's the most important thing in life you've ever learned? The most important thing in life I've ever learned. Um, wow, um, that um, <laughs> that people can seem absolutely certain and still be completely wrong. That's a great one. That's for sure. <laughs> That's yeah, what I've told my kids. That's what I've told my kids. Yeah. Because when we think we're right, we, we don't care about any resources, anything. We are right until we finally yeah. are explained that we're not. And that's and that why we are wrong most of, and we are wrong most of the time. <laughs> Yeah, That's truly. A lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> oh my! Um, best place to purchase the books Amazon, right? Or is you have a website as well, David? People can get it. Uh, yeah, you can go. Uh, you can go to. Uh, you can search on Meganets, M-E-G-A-N-E-T-S, and you'll find many places to uh, to purchase it. Um, I've been instructed not to show favoritism to any one real or real retailer but uh amazon barnes and noble and all all of its can all it will all be available there being published by public affairs which is a division of hachette and they have a page for it too um you can i also have a sub stack our stack a-u-e-r and then stack uh where i write about these topics as well yeah that's getting popular isn't it sub stack for sure it is it is again it's a consequence of what meganets are doing and that they um they do tend to decentralize power without focusing it in any particular um hands so and we, we the days of everybody watching the last episode of mash are gone there's never going to be that <laughs> level of cultural unity again because of this if that's powerful that's really true that's why it's about finding your niche and finding the right audience because not everyone's going to be there to watch it anymore or, or no. listen to it or stream it or whatever. Right? No, there's just too much of everything. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Appreciate it, David. Thanks very Appreciate much for having me. All right. That was, uh, again, the uh, celebrity interviews live from the grotto with Greg Hanna, guys. Take care. We're back to the Neil Haley show and also the media giant effect. And oh my gosh, you know, 
I never thought this, you know, the only owner of a company in network marketing I've ever interviewed was Ryan Blair of Visalis. And we all know how Ryan Blair blew it up after that. And he's had such great success. And you saw him on different TV shows and different things. Well, this is the, I guess, the second person ever that I've interviewed. And I love highlighting CEOs. So I'm excited to welcome the program, Dr. Anthony Kleinsmith. And he is the CEO of Anovite. I appreciate you coming on the show, man. And you have such a great product to share with our audience. How are you today? Very good, Neil. How are you doing? Good. Let's talk about specifically your history, who your background, and how the heck did you get involved in network marketing? Because we <laughs> know it's a success thing, but you did it the best way. You started one, but it's been a journey, right? It's not it, like an overnight, you're not just an overnight sensation. You put in the work. Not. We we've taken we've taken our time. I started my very first company, which is actually our FDA, USDA expected production facility in 1991 called Immune Tree. And we started kind of reverse. We actually went into 3,000 health food stores and uh, uh, I private labeled for some multi-levels in my younger years, been to 44 countries because of it. But Immune Tree was growing uh, very nicely. And then uh, Cornell University did something that they had never done before. They put out a letter on their letterhead stating that I was best in the industry with my product colostrum. Uh, got very excited about it. Uh, went out there and did an international contest that said, if you can beat me, I'll pay you 10 grand. Well, health food stores couldn't beat me. Well, what happened was I was going into a very large uh, chain, Whole Foods, and they said, you know, we've tested you. You're the best on the, on the market out there. We're not going to buy anything from you. I said, why not? They said, well, what business are you in? I said, well, I'm in the nutritional business. He said, what business are we in? I said, I thought you were in the nutritional business as well. They said, no, we're in the money-making business. Your competitors, if we get a bottle sent back, will give us three to replace it. I said, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Wow. He says, I know, and that's why we're not going to buy from you. So I got fed up with the health food store marketplace and started looking for this other avenue. It became network marketing. I've been to 44 countries. I've private labeled for 20 uh, multi-levels in the past. I no longer do that. I don't private label. I don't contract manufacture for anybody. Um, and found that I really liked the people, couldn't stand the owners. Every single owner bar none always came back to me and said, you know, if you just water your product down, make it cheaper, we'd both make a lot more money. Oh. Well, I have 140 international editorials written about us in the Healthy Living magazine. We've won the People's Choice Award, the Reader's Choice Award, Chemical Toxin Working Group out of California. My books have always done well. I said no. Went back to health food store, said no. Nah, Love the people, can't stand the owners, not a good industry for me. Seven years ago, somebody came to literally my home and said, why don't you be the multi-level? You're the production facility. I can walk and talk right. science. Uh, why not? Um, I wanted to do things differently than what the industry was doing, which is they're going to promise everything under the sun, charge you for everything. We're going to charge you to join. We're going to charge monthly fees. We're going to charge you for samples, we're going to charge you everything. We don't do that. You join for free, no monthly fees, no product purchase required, free product shipping, free sample program that right now we have a full page ad in the home business connection telling everybody, test our system. Wow. Why? 
we have a 35% closing ratio on our samples that go out the door. I'm not exaggerating. We, we, we model everything. Um, and it's kind of fun because we don't give you a couple of capsules like most companies. You kind of hit me. Uh, I didn't realize I was going to be doing this. As an example, this is our Seismic 6. It's an all-natural, healthy energy with three different neurotropics. It's good for NOC. Uh, you get four sachets in this. We have a box that comes with two weeks of our colostrum and two weeks of our Limu Z as a sample. By the way, they're all free. And I'm not talking about free as in you don't have to buy them. You don't have to buy them. You don't have to ship them. We do it all. It tracks it for you. It sends out the, the blaster. We call it prospector. I used to have Verb. I fired Verb, not this February, last February, built our own. It does everything just with a phone, right? And tracks it. The only thing you have to do is follow up. We have free professional prospecting, free professional one-on-one -on -one coaching throughout the entire organization. We have a free professional network marketing course from Kelly Reese, one of the all-time favorites out there for training. And if you go through the training, I'll give you more samples for free. Wow. There is so nobody on the planet. No one else is doing that because you have to buy product, product, product when it comes to network marketing. And and do you, what do you value? So basically you're looking at specifically your distributors, the people who do sell it, sell your product to be really focusing on product sales or recruiting more people. What is product? The, we are okay, a product company. I like hearing that. One. Yep, from day because, one. The nice thing about it though is the business side uh, are they seeing me right now? Yes. Okay. I'm going to step away for two seconds. I'm going to keep talking. Okay. So let me show you what I mean by this is our number one sample. This is our two-week sampler. Oh, okay? wow. When you open it up, you get 14 sachets of our Limousie, your number one selling product. You get a half a month of my colostrum. It tells you what to do, how to do everything. This, by the way, is free. All right, so let's talk about the products. Oh, that's that's huge. I'm so glad we're going to be putting this on YouTube and then my uh, syndication. I just, I, I'm again, I just found you. Thank goodness about Facebook, the power of Facebook, and how good I am in social media. That's it. And I said, "Oh, bring you on." Had no idea, and I'm like blown away by you. Let's go first of all to your products. I okay. love the natural energy. I'm waiting to start to try to stop using coffee. Okay, coffee is the is a, I'm really about, you know, uh, reversing aging. I, I just turned 50 in January and I'm six foot 10, former professional wrestler, lost the weight. I'm trying to get back in shape even more. And I am eating healthy, you know, uh, drinking kombucha. I'm having salads. If someone listened to this, they'd say what? And I'm eating healthy. But biggest thing I can't cut out is coffee. I had a lot today. I tried to cut it out two days ago. So I'm done. No more coffee. And I lost the energy I needed to be my edge, but it's so bad for you. It's bad for caffeine. Caffeine is not a good thing. So tell us about this product more. I'm interested in hearing you're getting the whole blueprint. Everything that I do is based around colostrum and what we call the four corners of colostrum. Think about a baseball diamond. Okay. Okay. You said anti-aging at the top of that diamond are the entire IGF-1 superfamily in their whole food form. You kind of go, what's that? H-G-H. 
We were tested at Cornell University. We have 2,000 nanograms per gram for two capsules of IGF-1 along with all the other growth factors naturally occurring, okay? Naturally occurring. So if you want anti-aging, IGF-1 has an impact on every cell and every system in your body, okay? Okay. Unlike companies that might, well, we can hopefully raise it. We actually have it. Been tested. At the bottom of that, of that baseball diamond or second base, you have 100 plus different immune factors, cytokines, leukocytes, macrophages, interferons, interleukins, proline-rich polypeptides, all of which have human clinical trials on the benefits. On one side, first base, you have the essentials, essential fatty acids, amino acids, glyconutrients, things our bodies do not produce, you must bring them in from our foods. And as you know, foods are kind of depleted, right? Okay. On the other side are the metabolic factors, right? Leptin, camp, and others, plus the non-essentials, vitamins, minerals, enzymes, things that mm -hmm. produce inhibitors, things that kind of help carry everything into your system. Now, think about that diamond and turn it into anti-aging. Turn it into rebuilding an immune system so it's functional at one side, or you bring it down and modulate it on the other, right? Think about that. You mentioned you're an you're a athlete, I helped Ron Williams uh, at 47 years old come out of retirement and win Mr. Natural Universe on our product called Flex. Okay, His I'm recovery time um, was nil. He got bigger and stronger because we we maintained a, a whole chorea, choreographed on him. He got bigger and stronger during his cut phase. Okay. I'm gonna Google right now. I think I had Ron Williams on my show last year. Pastor out of Pastor out of Salt Lake City, Utah. Yeah, yeah, yes, I'm almost positive it was him. Give me a second. Yeah, he he was natural bodybuilding and all that stuff, and then yep. came back. And yep, yep, I had him. I just got to find where it was. I'll have to send you that the interview. It was about a year, year and a half ago. No, I'll, I mean, yeah. So I'll that send makes, you his stats, and you'll be like, wait a minute, where did you guys come from? Again, remember, we weren't network marketing. We were health food stores, and I've quit health food stores to do network marketing. I've chosen to do this. I don't have to, right? I love it when network marketing companies say, oh, we're, we're debt-free. From what? You don't make anything. You buy stuff. We actually make, we actually produce right here in the facility that I'm sitting in, right? When I say that we're debt-free, I can walk around my facility and show you the sachet, the encapsulating, the mixing, the powder filling, all the rest of it. We're 100% debt-free. Not, that's not to mention the half a million dollars worth of just raw material sitting in my warehouse. That's fantastic. So that's just a tremendous thing. So basically the product, your products is, um, it looks like that's the education of educating people on these products. You could get yeah. these same products at GNC. They just don't work, right? That's pretty nope. much the truth, right? I do not have to buy cheap and I don't have to sell it deep, right? The, the colostrum, I've never, I've never shifted my colostrum since September of 1991 when I came out with it. It's never changed. I don't manipulate proteins. I don't manipulate the fats. I've left it alone 100%. That's why around the world, I mean, my first book, we sold 750,000 copies worldwide because it was talking about how do I bring back your anti-aging factors? How do I grow your telomeres? How do I do different oh, things wow. to keep you young? That's huge. 
And so why, so, and, 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 but you chose the network marketing route, but that just helps so much for, you know, getting the right people to distribute your product, but you're, what you're offering by giving them the free samples. If it doesn't work, they're not going to buy the product. That's we the bottom 90%, line. We have a 90 day money back, hundred percent money back guarantee on all of our products. Try our products. I don't care. Here's the beauty of it. We have a 72% reorder rate on our products because they're not overpriced. People feel it and they see results. So what makes you different as a network marketing company? I think the first thing is that you're focusing on product sales versus recruiting top leaders, right? People. I've never paid anybody to come here. I take the mentality of McDonald's, right? If you want to buy a McDonald's, you put up a million and a half dollars. Do you get the McDonald's at that point? No. You no. have to go to McDonald's University. That can be anywhere from six months to 18 months. If you fail, they hand you back your million and a half dollars and say, thanks, go get a KFC. They're cheaper, <laughs> right? Yeah. Why? Because they don't want failure. How, what, what, what industry can you walk into, have no training, no education, your upline isn't really there to help you because they may not even know how to help you, right? And it fails. Well, we have training, we have coaching, we walk you through. You're not alone. You're not alone from the top down. Kelly Reese, I hunted for literally five years before he would agree to sit down with me. And when he did, he said, are you looking for me to recruit? I said, no, I want your training. He said, wait a minute. You're going to, you're going to put, you're going to pay me and build this thing out from the top down. Absolutely. And we did. See, and it's an impressive thing because you need to have those distributors that not deal with all the, the gimmicks and really bring results. And so the, the, the products kind of just break down real quick. Like the first one is about energy, right? What, what is that product oh, called? We, oh. we have energy. We have anti-aging. Uh, Limu Z works on your neuro, nervous system, endocrine, immune, and pineal aging. Colostrum is your all around. We have flex that is for those folks who are more athletic bound, but also for those folks who are looking to have a hormonal balancing happen. Oh, right? wow. I'm Absolutely. familiar with all that because, yeah. You and I, as we get older, estrogens rise, testosterone falls. Right. Would you as know that? As a female, yes. testosterone rises, estrogen falls. Yeah. Well, guess what? Flex helps to do both of those things. It helps to balance out hormones, not to mention recovery on, on lifting, off the hook, right? Then you have the leptitrim system based around leptin, naturally occurring within colostrum, IGF-1, three things that trigger inch loss. Now, I didn't say weight loss necessarily. Inch loss is fat. What would you rather have? Weight loss and you're still in the same size pants, dress, blouse, or inch loss that puts you into a size smaller. Wow. And it is based around leptin which is naturally occurring within colostrum as long as you don't manipulate the fats. See, education is such an important thing. And I know you, you have it in your company and all these different things, but just to get the word out to people, because again, a lot of radio stations and radio shows or podcasts don't want to bring out network marketing. Well, it seems like your products are helping people. Where's the best place that people can find information on you? Because I'm intrigued by it in a way of just to be there to get the word out to more and more people. I, I represent people, amazing people who tell amazing, amazing people and businesses that tell amazing stories. 
And like, for example, I have a, a, a concussion doctor, Dr. Charles Simkovich, who has been able to reverse concussions through his tack. He's amazing. And there's these people and these stories, but guess what? They don't, they aren't able to go on, you know, the Today Show and tell that story because Today Show doesn't want that because there's always the anti people that say, no, we got to keep getting them on those, uh, the big pharma. So big pharma never wants you on a major show. They would never because then they would lose their business. Well, here's, here's what you asked me where I go. Here's why I'm doing this, by the way. Out of the 3,000 health food stores that I sold to in the past, I never met somebody who actually used our products. I know the owners, but I never met the end user. For me, man, hearing the stories that people send in, they email, they text, heck, the Amish mail me letters, right? Uh, that to me is phenomenal. It's phenomenal. So we have a full page ad that's out there that's literally challenging everybody to go here, get, pick your sample, right? But yet you're going to be put into a prospector. So you're going to see how the whole system works. Simple22.com. Simple22.com is what we just put a full page ad out uh, in the home business connection. Simple22.com. Go there, get a free sample. Watch the system walk you through. And the sample is on me. All right. Well, that's huge. And then people, you're taught, you're speaking the language of things that you go to GNC and the products don't work. So there you go. So then, and, and I'm sure GNC is a huge, huge entity that wants to, to knock down anybody that's trying to compete. That's why the products that are part of that have to play the game or else they're out. And that's right. why you don't sell the health food stores anymore. You do it yourself and that's huge. And you're building this community. So I appreciate it, Dr. Anthony. Thank you, Neil. All right. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to The Neil Haley Show and also The Media Giant Effect. And my guest today is inspiring women and inspiring little girls. And I really am impressed by her, Dr. Samantha Pillay. Uh, Dr. Samantha, thanks for stopping by. And oh, my goodness, tell us how you broke the glass ceiling and now how, how you want to help others break that same glass ceiling. Thank you, Neil, for having me. I had a dream that I could do what I wanted to do, despite what a lot of people said, and that was become a surgeon. Uh, part of that was influenced by a large amount of time in hospital and a lot of surgery as a child due to a congenital problem um, that wasn't picked up with my hips. I started school in a wheelchair. Um, wasn't sh They weren't sure if I was ever going to walk. Um, I went on to finish school at the age of 16 and do medicine. And everyone sort of said, you can do anything you want except be a surgeon because you can't stand and operate for a long time. So I became a surgeon. And then we're back to the Neil Haley show and also the media giant effect. And I have somebody who's going to talk about money. And I think it's such an important subject that causes people to lose lives, their life. They they lose control of what they are. They don't really understand themselves. And money just becomes a dirty subject. Uh, my guest today is Dr. Noah St. John, author of Get Rid of Your Head Trash about money. How are you, Dr. Noah? I'm doing great. And yes, that is the topic. Get rid of your head trash about money. And uh, yeah, it, it is, as you stated, it is a very important topic. And one that a lot of people don't talk about a lot. Yeah, because here's the thing. Money is either something that you believe is is easy and plentiful, or we think it's 
the worst thing in the world because we have a depression mindset. If we, our parents were from the depression. We're going to be in this mindset like there's never enough money. Correct. Nothing will ever feel good about it. And then there's other people that don't care and they throw caution to the wind. While there's other people that know how to create money, keep money. We're back to Neil Haley showing also the media giant effect. And I tell you what, well, my guest, holy cow, I'm going to read his bio just because it blows me away. He's a two-time senior Olympics national sprint champion in three events, the 50 meter, the 100 meter, and the 200 meter dashes, a member of Memphis's amateur sports hall of fame. I got to bring that up in a second. My days wrestling Jerry, the King Lawler in the Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis, Tennessee. And he's the <laughs> author of two books, Johnny Run Lately and a sprint to the gold age 91 and still competing for the last 30 years. John Hurd, thanks for stopping by, man. Uh, I, I'm I'm just so glad to have you on the show. Oh, thank you, Neil. I'm glad to be here. John, so now did you did you ever see me wrestle in the Mid-South Coliseum or did you watch me on uh, Memphis TV for pro wrestling? I don't know if, a fan, if you were a fan back in the day in the uh, 90s with pro wrestling with Memphis, Tennessee, but I remember Memphis living in West Memphis, Arkansas, and also living in Jonesboro, Arkansas. So I know that area. So right. were you ever a fan of Lawler, of Jerry the King Lawler? And then I'll get into your story. I never saw him wrestle. Uh, my uh, wrestling watching days uh, occurred uh, when I was about 12 years old, and I'd leave a Boy Scout meeting and come down to where they were and they'd let us in. But uh, I, I, I'm very familiar with Jerry Lawler. I've seen him many times on TV. And being Memphis, the real king, right? Jerry would not like me to hear that. Elvis Presley. Wow. And, that, and then the thinking of Memphis, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so tell me specifically enough, why the Senior Olympics? What made you want to compete? The reason I joined the Senior Olympics, I just stumbled on it by happenstance, Neil, is because when I was in school, I was so small. Uh, actually, they wouldn't even let me in the first grade because they said my mother was lying about my age. But uh, uh, I was too little for, for the athletics. When I was in the 10th grade in high school, I weighed 92 pounds and was 5 feet 0 inches tall. So I went out for boxing. They had a they had a, an age a weight grade for me, 92 to 100. But then... When I was 60 years old, I uh, saw a, an article in the local Memphis newspaper about a, a friend that I had known in college named Jim Mathis, who was a sprint demon, and uh, he was still running in this organization called the Sports Olympics, I mean, Senior Olympics, with five-year-age five age, five brackets, such as 50 to 54, 75 to 79, that kind of thing. So made a phone call or two, took a shot at it, and started working out. No coach, no trainer. And uh, at, at the age of 61, I had my first competition, and I was smitten. I, I enjoyed it. And I started setting goals for myself, tracking them on an Excel spreadsheet because I'd been teaching, teaching that at college level for some time. And uh, you can read about that in my second book. But uh, 
uh, it just it stayed with me. Now, at the tender young age of 91, I've got another state championship to run uh, four days from now in Mississippi.